0: Well, Judges 16, we've been considering the sufficiency of God for inadequate people. And uh, this morning, we're looking at the God of the failure. The uh, final chapter in uh, Samson's story is from the very first verse, shocking and sobering. One day, Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. Satan tried to destroy Samson at the very beginning by a lion's attack without success. And now he attacks him at the end of his life with a roaring lion of sexual immorality with terrifying success. But uh, I I don't think Samson is the heart of this chapter or sexual immorality are... At the heart of this chapter, much as those two things are obviously there. I think there are two key events in this chapter, and they're both to do with God. The key events in our lives are always to do with God. Uh, The first is in verse 20, where it says, The Lord had left him. And the second is in verse 28, when the Lord remembered him as he pleaded. The Lord left him, and the Lord remembered him. And those are the two pivotal events of Judges 16. The Lord left. Look in verse 19. His strength left him. Verse 20. He did not know that the Lord had left him. Very ominous language because, of course, the Lord was the source of his incredible strength. He was a one-man army because he had a God who could make him so. But now Samson is bereft, and suddenly we see what Samson without God is actually like. Now, I do believe that Scripture teaches the perseverance, or should I say the preservation of the saints in fact i think samson's story rather bears that out i think the post-pentecost believer has the assurance of the lasting presence of god's spirit in his life Uh, however i don't think the warning passages in the bible are idle and theoretical even if satan cannot destroy our ultimate salvation he never ceases to try to destroy our lives and our usefulness. And we need to take that seriously and tremble at it unless lest we grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom we were sealed for the day of redemption. Ephesians 4.30 So I don't think we can lose our salvation but I do think that Christians can come to enormous grief, sorrow and disaster when they give in To Satan. Now, the context uh, of what happens here is important. Uh, 15 verse 20 Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. 16 verse 31, he had led Israel 20 years. So that's actually a sobering note because it means that what we're looking at here. Are events in the life of an experienced leader, a judge of Israel. And maybe you fancy that if you've been a Christian for 30 years, or been a pastor for 30 years, or been anything for that length of time, you've got life pretty sewn up and you're secure. Uh, the truth is, in this life, we are always tempted and attacked, whatever age we are and indeed satan has some particular snares for those who've led for years as we see here with solomon as we see here with samson but also in the sad story of solomon's later years you see as well so there is a spiritual battle that you and i will keep having to fight until the lord takes us home or he returns and that means that you should pray for senior leaders Maybe you think they don't need your prayer. Well, you're quite wrong. Pray for your pastors. Pray for the people you hold in high regard. Pray for Don Carson. Pray for these men. Never take for granted their continuance. Because that is an act of God, the perseverance of the saints. And that will be an act of God we need in our lives as well. So what is it that happens in verses 1 to 19 that leads to that that devastating verse 20, when the Lord had left him? Well, firstly, there is presumption here. Look in verse 20, he says, I'll go out as before. And the scripture comments, he did not know the Lord had left him. You see, he reasoned from the past experience. I'll go out as before and shake myself free because every other occasion this sort of thing had happened in the, in the chapter, that's what he did. So he thought the future was assured because of the past, but he had lost touch with his current spiritual reality and he felt competent and he clearly felt competent regardless of obedience to God. Now, Satan has this insidious poison that he wants to drip into all of our lives, when our confidence subtly shifts from God to self. It's not even that we necessarily articulate it like that, but in our own hearts, that's actually what happens when we come to assume God's favor rather than seeking God's favor. You assume God's favor and you just think, well, I'll be all right, God's for me rather than pleading on your knees that the living God would have mercy on you and give you the strength you need. Dale Raff Davis says of Samson, Samson is a paradigm of Israel. A lot of commentators make this point. There's a sense in which, which Samson kind of typifies what Israel had become. One raised up out of nothing, richly gifted, who panders around with other loves, and yet apparently always expects to have Yahweh. He always expects to have God, regardless of how he behaves. That's presumption. And it's presumption there in the text of Judges 16, and it's presumption in our own lives. Beware presumption, assuming rather than seeking God's favor. Secondly, there's a process here. You go back to verse 1. Uh, and we read of this awful little event, I say little event, this, this tragic event in Gaza. There, there's something sequential, incremental in Samson's disobedience and departure from God. And, and, and the, the significance of the Gaza story it, it is, is that it is a step towards where he ends up with Delilah. It was a path he was moving on for some time. And that is the way sin generally works. If we end up in grave sin, it's not usually by leaping into it, but it's usually by moving towards it gradually. And we become masters at concealing what is going on, even from ourselves sometimes. So when you hear of some Christian leader who makes shipwreck morally or abandons the faith, that there's been something going on that you haven't been seeing. But... Somebody close to him probably did see some of it. There's something going on in Samson's life before he met Delilah. Uh, and the first one says he went to Gaza. Now that is a strange journey for Israel's judge to make. He goes into Philistine territory and he goes to the furthest Philistine city from his home. Uh, maybe he is seeking anonymity. And there he saw a prostitute. It isn't necessarily that he kind of planned to. He just happened to see her. And he clearly hasn't made what Job did. Job made a covenant with his eyes not to look at a woman lustfully. It's a very uh, godly, wise, and beautiful thing to do. Uh, And and Samson clearly hadn't done that. And he went in to spend the night with her. He went into her. And it's a grim process. Beware the process of sin. Now the issue for you might be sexual immorality. But it might not be that. It might be pride, the love of self-importance, the love of being first. Or it might be something financial. Uh, There are all sorts of subtle ways that Satan wants to take us apart, and he really doesn't mind which particular channel it is that you might be more susceptible to, but he wants to lead you on a process. And the first step, you might feel, is not really so bad, and the next step is not really so much further, and before you know it, you're like a kid on a toboggan going down a slope who has no control at all uh, about the speed he's going or where he's going to end up. So beware the process. Watch your life and doctrine closely, Paul wrote to Timothy. And listen to that. Watch your, which he puts first. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Now, clearly, he was very concerned for Timothy's doctrine. But actually, he puts life, he mentions the life first. The life and the doctrine need to go together all the time. And part of the process here is the detachment of gifting from calling. Uh, You see, to escape the ambush that was set for him, uh, it's it's unclear as to whether he knew there was an ambush set for him or whether he guessed there might be an ambush set for him, Uh, but he gets up in the middle of the night when they're not expecting him. Uh, And he performs probably the most amazing single feat of physical strength Recorded in the Bible um, because he takes the city gates. Now, the city gates are not like your front door. If you've ever uh, taken your front door somewhere, it's doable, you can manage it. You wouldn't want to do it for a great distance, perhaps, but you could probably pick up your front door. But the city gates, these were colossal things, and it speaks of the together with two posts, and he tore them loose. Bar and all. These are colossal things. Uh, and he picks them up. And we have this remarkable comment that he lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Well, you know, Hebron's about, what, 35 miles away? Now, he, he went to the top of the hill facing Hebron, so he didn't carry them 35 miles. But it must mean that he carried them, say, 15 miles I mean, that is inconceivable strength. Um, It's a quite remarkable feat. Uh, And what happened to the people who were meant to be waiting to kill him? I have no idea, but he doesn't seem to have any problem in in carrying them off without anybody stopping him. Um, And there wasn't another man on earth who could have done such a thing. But what is he doing? He's using what God gave him, physical strength, for his own purposes he's using his gifting for himself not for his god and that is somewhere satan does want to take us when we are maybe gifted in some way maybe uh, you have begun to preach and maybe you're beginning to enjoy preaching and there's always a snare for the preacher that we begin to preach so that people think well of us instead of preaching so that god is glorified so who are we serving We serve ourselves rather than God. That's the same path that I think Samson was on. So beware, beware the presumption of favor and the process of sin and the using of gifts for yourself and not for God. These are stepping stones to disaster in our lives too. Process. Thirdly, playing with sin. And verses 4 to 20 are one of the most uh, graphic biblical descriptions of a man playing with sin. And there's something deeply pathetic about this relationship he had with Delilah. She's the only one of his women who is named. uh, And it actually says that he loved her, verse 4, which isn't so clear in any of the others. Um, And he is after pleasure, And he is after her. He is besotted with her. And she, what is she after? She is after a fortune. That's the key to Delilah, I'm afraid. She is offered by the rulers of the Philistines. There were five, the five great cities of the Philistines. Each had a ruler. And five of these men went to see her. And they said, if you can lure him, into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we may overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him, Uh, they offered her, each, each was going to give her 1,100 shekels of silver. Now, that's hard for us quite to understand the exact value, but what she is offered is the equivalent of the national lottery rollover jackpot. I mean, 1,100 shekels of silver five times over 5,500 shekels. Uh, In the next chapter, 10 shekels of silver was an annual salary. In the next chapter. 5,500 shekels is millions in your bank account tomorrow if you can just get this man to tell you where his strength comes from. And she is remarkably unsubtle about it, isn't it? I mean, look at her, verse 6. Tell me the secret of your great strong strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. What sort of question is that? I mean, you, know, you really don't have to have a great deal of intelligence to realize that that's a very bad question and a very dangerous question. And to respond to it is inviting disaster. And yet, Samson responds and responds and responds. Until eventually, verse 17, he told her everything. That phrase comes three times. It's there in verse 17. Verse 18, when Delilah saw that he told her everything, she she told her his heart. She went to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more, he has told me everything. Three times. Always watch out for things that come three times because in Hebrew, that's the way of of expressing the superlative. Holy, holy, holy. Uh, That's a way, therefore, whenever you see three things, it's almost certainly a very significant thing. He told her everything. And he told her that he had been a Nazarite from birth, and if his hair was shaved, his strength would leave him. Now, of course, his hair was not the source of his strength, but it was the symbol Of his commitment to God as a Nazarite. And he tells her this. And the most alarming thing of all is that he told her everything in verse 17. And then in verse 19, uh, she has him and put him to sleep on her lap. I mean, you know, he's told her his biggest secret and he goes to sleep on her lap. And every other time he's suggested what the source of his strength might be, she's actually then gone and tried to do it. I mean, how dumb do you have to be? How besotted do you have to be? You see, he was completely losing. He was playing with sin. See, what is he expecting? He's acting as though he didn't really believe it would make any difference. He acted as though he was immune To failure, and and do you know that that's a very dangerous thing to be immune or think you are immune to failure? Do you imagine you are immune to some sort of temptation? You've cracked that. Well, Satan uh, loves to stoke that sense that you, you you've got that sorted. Beware when you think you stand, lest you fall. And in English, the word play and the word pray are only one letter different, aren't they? But they're worlds apart. And it seems to me, we either play with sin or pray against sin. And we make the choice each day. And yesterday's choice will not keep me faithful today. I need to pray again for strength. Remember what Jesus told his disciples? Pray that you will not fall into temptation. Pray. That you will not fall into temptation. Each of us, we need to pray daily that we will not fall into temptation. Samson did not pray, and it's easy not to. You see, we're not holy by accident, we don't survive Satan's temptations by accident. We've got to fight with ourselves, we've got to be on our knees. We've got to be vigilant. Never play with sin. Romans 8.13, if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. And that verse could be written for Samson, except it was a bit late for him. But it's not too late for us. If you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because you see, the spirit of God is there to help us. It isn't that the spirit of God is sort of asking us to do some impossible thing. He is asking us to depend on him. He's asking us to pray to him. He's asking us to not play with sin, but pray against it presumption process playing paradox and the paradox is, is frightening see what do we end up with in in verse 20 we still have samson this man of immense power except that he is now completely helpless in outward form he is the judge of israel but in reality he's a slave of his own lusts now, he can still speak about God, can't he? Do you notice that in verse 17. He says, I have been a Nazarite set apart to God since birth. Uh, you can use the name God. Uh, you can be brought up to use the name God. Uh, you can use it confidently and yet be playing games with God. And his words and his life lie in two different countries. And the refrain... That has come so frequently in chapter 13, 14, 15, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord who was stirring in him at the end of chapter 13, the Spirit of the Lord that came upon him three times in chapters 14 and 15 is absent in this last chapter. An absence, as Davis says, eloquent in its silence. And it is terrifying when outward form and inner reality part company have you ever had a foot in a boat and a foot on the shore well this is okay while the boat is tightly tied but if you've ever had the experience of the boat going that way and the shore staying still and you with a foot in both you know that's a recipe for disaster and that was the paradox here the outward form and the inner reality that become two different things. Uh, You cannot sustain a lie. Now, let me qualify that. You can sustain the appearance of being together when you're not together. For a while, you can pretend that everything is fine when it's not fine. When I first went into Christian ministry, I went to work with a man who'd been a minister for 20 years, And uh, I didn't know that, but his life was falling apart. And he was kind of, he came into a position where he was living a lie. And it wasn't immediately evident, but it became increasingly clear that something was wrong, even if you didn't know what it was. And it was an awful tragedy, and it is always a dreadful tragedy when a Christian makes shipwreck. And there but for the grace of God would go every Christian if it were not for the Spirit of God that can help us. There is a daily battle that by the Spirit we maintain our outward profession and our inward reality in step with each other. So we sing the wonderful hymns but our hearts are towards that and wanting that and praying for that and trying to live that. And we have to always be on our guard that that paradox does not become ours. Uh, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. But the flip side of that is with him, everything is possible. So don't lose heart, but take yourself in hand that you never discover what it's like to be at the end of that process, the paradox Of a man whose life is in a different country from his profession. And final P here is the price, which is staggeringly high. Verse 21. Then the Philistines seized him. And this giant of a man, who on every other occasion was able to throw them off like, I don't know, tissue. uh, They seized him. And he couldn't stop them. And they gouged out his eyes and took him down to Gaza. And binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. See, there is a price here that none of us want to pay. And the thing about Satan is that he is a salesman. And he's always offering us the apparent advantages of sin. That's what he did in the Garden of Eden to Eve. You know, you will become wise. You will surely not die. And just look how beautiful this fruit is. And how good it will be to taste. And and, and those things weren't altogether false. The fruit was no doubt beautiful to look at and wonderful to eat. Uh, But actually, what he is doing is concealing the consequence. Offering the inducement but concealing the consequence. That's what Satan always does. Uh, He is like a fisherman who shows the fish the wriggling worm, but not the hook. And the fish doesn't realize the hook's there. All it sees is the wriggling worm. And, And that's how Satan wants it to be with us. But the Bible is brutally honest, and it shows us what the hook's like, and what it does to people. So this man paid a huge cost, an enormous cost to himself. Seized, in verse 21, blinded, imprisoned, chained, humiliated. The man who once terrified the Philistines, in verse 25, entertains them as though he were a circus act. There's a cost to himself, but there's also a cost to God's honor and you know those two things do go together for a believer it's extraordinary but God allows his honour to be associated with us and he allows his honour to become vulnerable so that his glory on earth can be besmirched by our conduct and that is a terrible thing where I profess to follow him but anybody can see that what I've just done is actually dishonoring and and, and horrible. The Philistines gather for a huge party of celebration, verse 23, a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and they gather to celebrate. (coughs) Have you ever wondered why they didn't just kill him? After all, uh, you know, he was their enemy. Why didn't they just kill him? Why blind him and let him, you know, still... Uh, be alive well presumably because they wanted to get maximum advantage they they had this sort of event in mind they they wanted to milk it for all they were worth Um, uh, so here there is this tremendous celebration and they honor they celebrate their god verse 24 23 our god verse 24 our god Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands. And the word delivered, delivered there in verse uh, 23, is the same word in chapter 15, 19 that Samson used when he praised God for this great deliverance. Uh, So what God had done for Samson, it seemed to the Philistines that Dagon had done for them. And the name of Dagon fills the air, and Satan is shifting the glory that belongs to God alone elsewhere. That's what he wants to do. He wants to shift the glory that belongs to God to supposed gods, to idols, to careers, to sport, to whatever it is that is a substitute for living for the living God. And can you imagine this? Samson is blind. So his senses are limited. He can't, he can't see a thing. But he can hear everything. And what does he hear? He hears Dagon, 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 Dagon. And thousands of people chanting to their God. And the story of Samson is desperately tragic. What might he have gone on to do in God's name? Well, we'll never know. And Samson has passed a point of no return. He can never regain his sight. And his prayer at the end is to die with the Philistines. And it's the severest sort of warning. What we can bring on ourselves when we forget God. There are things we cannot undo when we abuse God's kindness. Even though we can be forgiven. Though we repent with tears, we can't undo that which has happened. So Jephthah can't bring back his daughter. And Samson can't regain his sight. It's only heaven that will undo all the damage of us damaged people in this world who fail and disobey our God. And make no mistake, Make no mistake, Samson is not the only failure. We have all failed. Please God, not on the scale that he did and with quite the consequences he did. But there are failures in all of our lives because we're sinners. And some of you may be sitting here this morning with past failure or failures haunting you, even here. Well, take heart. For as with Samson, so with us. Satan does not have the final word. The Lord left. You never want to know what Samson discovered. Secondly, the Lord remembers. See, verse 25 to 26 is the pits. Uh, The Philistines, praising their God verse 25, are in high spirits. They've been probably drinking and celebrating and uh, and they're shouting, bring out Samson to entertain us. Uh, and there's a general party spirit. So they call Samson out of the prison and he performed for them. Uh, and it is a scene of abject humiliation. Here it is, utterly pitiful. Um And having performed for them, um, the servant uh, stood him among the pillars uh, in verse uh, 25. Um, Like one would park a car or leave a donkey, uh, he was put among the pillars after he had performed for them. And above him, on the roof, the Philistines are rocking. There are, we read, 3,000 people present wildly celebrating Dagon's honor. And archaeologists have found exactly this type of building, Minoan architecture, where you had a structure with two great pillars that supported an upper story. And it's clear from here, you look in verse 27, the temple was crowded with men and women, all the rulers of the Philistines were there, and on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. It, you've got a grandstand view, you see, looking down at Samson. A- and all five rulers uh, of the Philistines are present. They're, they're all there. Uh, and everybody who's anybody in Philistine society seems to be there. And Delilah, one imagines, was the guest of honor, with all the rest celebrating Dagon. And one pathetic, shambling wreck of a man prays to another God. In the midst of the idols of our generation, make sure you pray to another God. And there is no pit, there is no place where our God cannot hear and answer such prayers. And this is the third great prayer of the Samson story. It's a passionate prayer. It's a great cry. Verse 28. Then Samson prayed to the Lord. O sovereign Lord, remember me, O God. Please strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Remember me strengthen me once more, is placed among three separate Hebrew words for God. The name of Dagon is echoing around the building. But he calls on Adonai. He calls on Yahweh. He calls on Elohim, the Lord, the God, the living God of Israel. And twice he says, now, now, remember me. What did the penitent thief say on the cross to Christ, Jesus? Remember me when you come into your kingdom. What did God do for Noah all those years ago in the ark after the flood? It says God remembered Noah when God remembers, he doesn't just call you to mind. He remembers and acts in such power that only he can. When God remembers you, it changes everything. And Samson reached out his hands to the pillars. And he pushed. Now, in verse 24, we see that Samson was already known as uh, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. And we've seen these stories of a colossal number of Philistines that had been killed by Samson, liberating the Israelites from the grip of the Philistine domination. But verse 30 says, that he pushed with all his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more, many more when he died than while he lived. And the Philistine elite is wiped out at one blow. What did the angel say at the beginning? He will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. And I'll tell you something else. Not one Person went away saying what a great God Dagon is. Not one. And so, by the end of this chapter, despite the squalid immorality of his earlier conduct, it is not the Lord leaving Samson the failure that is the lasting headline. The lasting headline is the Lord remembered him. This man of faith who appears with Jephthah and Barak in Hebrews 11. This man who believed in another God. And the Lord did not despise this failure. He did not despise his prayer. And I'm so glad because I too am a failing man who prays. The Lord remembered him. What do you want on your gravestone? Well, that would be a pretty good epitaph, wouldn't it? The Lord remembered you. When you pray, may the Lord remember you. And as we come to the end of this, isn't there something about Samson from beginning to end that kind of gives you a sense of déjà vu? There's, there's something going on here. There's the preview There are glimmers of a greater deliverer all the way through. And we've seen that to some measure in all the judges. Like all the judges, though, he makes us long for somebody who does the job properly. So just as Samson's nativity story reminds us of a greater nativity story that we'll be thinking about a lot in the next few weeks, doesn't his death point forward? To a greater death. Because you see there. In abject weakness and humiliation. Surrounded by the mocking voices of the crowds. Mockery heaped on him. And the apparent moments of the total victory. Of all his many enemies surrounding him. In his crying out. To another God. In the hour of great darkness. And in his death accomplishing a victory far greater than any he'd even won in his life and even in his burial verse 31 his far- brothers and father's whole family went down to get him they brought him back and buried him in the tomb of Manoah his father even in his burial honored by those who love him does not Samson's experience of grace in his death remind us in some pale but real way of the supreme champion and the supreme demonstration of power in the death of our Lord Jesus, who in the moment of apparent abject humiliation triumphed over Satan and trampled his head and defeated all our enemies on the cross for sinners like Samson and me and you. And doesn't it pass all understanding That the humiliated one ultimately was not Samson. But Jesus. The Lord Jesus. The Holy One. The second person of the Trinity. Who stooped to a humiliation every bit as appalling as Samson's and worse. To work salvation for you. His form marred beyond human likeness. He forsaken and rejected by men. And even forsaken by God, yet remembered and raised from the dead and victorious on the throne of heaven forever and ever. What a savior. And what a salvation. And thus the God who remembered Samson remembers those unworthy sinners today who cry out to him for grace. And you see, our God is the God of Samson. He is the God who prepares his salvation even in the darkest days when there is not another person who cares. He is the God who delivers even solitary believers and gives us his spirit to empower us to meet the needs of our day. He's the God who remembers us, even us failures, and though we are unworthy, still hears our prayers and acts to vindicate his holy name and overthrow the kingdom of darkness. So I pray, may the God of Samson go with us all. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we worship you for what your word teaches us about yourself and the searchlight that you shine into our hearts and our lives and Lord we are humbled by your word it exposes not just Samson's iniquity but our iniquity for we too are sinners, we too fail we too are tempted and we too stumble and fall into sin and lord we plead with you that you would keep us from the processes that satan wants to take us on the path to disaster and we thank you that we're not alone that the holy spirit is given to us and we have your word before us and we pray father that we would plead with you and pray with you daily that we may not presume on your favour, but seek your favour. And Lord, we want to be men of prayer and women of prayer, those who cry out to another God in a godless age. And Lord, we praise you that you're able to deliver and you remember sinners still. Remember us, O Lord, we plead. And thank you for the great Saviour for him who went to something worse than even Samson did, so that we might be delivered from death and made your own beloved holy people. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.